You, you know how to fill one of these in? Huh? No time ago, let me see. Can't read it. It's primitive, it's a little low, but I'm a yeah. master. You're not helping. Can we speed this up, please? You may have nothing to do. I have things to do today, okay? No, we can't. So will you shut up? Jaywalking. Yeah, license? Yeah, jaywalking? Yeah, jaywalking. I don't have it on me, okay? I wasn't driving, okay? I was walking. What, do I need a walking license oh, now? God. Let's just shoot oh, up. Oh, 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 is he crazy? Oh, 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 Get out of the way, Roger. I'm gonna drill him. Will you make it look like suicide? Get out of the way. Will you make it look like suicide? I don't care. I'm still gonna drill him. Get out of the way. Get out of your phone. My partner killed you. No, that way. Not that way. This way. This way. Over there. Go right now. Run. 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 <laughs> Do you expect me to talk? Hello and welcome to episode 206 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca and as always joined by my fellow co-host Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening and welcome to podcasting with Do You Expect Us to Talk? <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit like that. Well, no, I thought I'd go lighter because the film's lighter. <laughs> I'm definitely getting too old for this crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the more family friendly. You're, you're, you're getting too old for this uh, poop. Into all for this mess. For these, these people, so, this fecal uh, matter. This, this, this film gives me uh, a question. Is is uh, eating doggy biscuits more healthier than smoking cigarettes? Depends what's in them, I would say. Well, I, I mean, know, I, I, I don't know. I, but... I, I think the problem is uh, I haven't seen many dogs smoking as a control experiment. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. I didn't see many dogs smoking, do you? So yeah. it must work. Obviously, we neither condone, you know, eating dog biscuits or smoking. And so. also, if a dog, how could you do the experiment? Because if a dog smoked twenty a day in dog years, it's smoking twenty a week. <laughs> so that's not quite as dangerous. So who knows? You'd be wheezing like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Or is that seven? I don't know. Yeah. That's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, doggy biscuits. I don't know. This film is trying a bit too hard, isn't it? Um, yeah. So. Becca, before we go any further, what are we covering tonight? So yes, tonight it's all about Lethal Weapon 3, starring Muggerton, Danny Glover, Joe Fesci, Rene Russo, Danny Love, Tracy Wolf, Stuart Wilson, who's English, I didn't realise, and Steve Kern, with original music by Michael Cohen, Eric Clapton and Dave Sanborn, script by Jeffrey Boehm and Robert Mark Harmon, I don't know if they're related, directed by Richard Donner and released in 1992. Sorry, I'm a bit quick this evening, apologies. Uh, I'm looking up Cayman. I'm trying to whip through it. does not appear to be any relation. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if they're related. I was like, no. Oh. No, doesn't appear to be. Right. Okay. Um, Stuart, fact, Wilson, Stuart Wilson, um, I'm thinking, do I recognise you? Do I not? Went to look him up. He was the doctor in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw him, obviously, because I'd never seen this one before. Then he appeared on screen, and I was like, where do I see that face before? Hot Fuzz. He is one of those actors who, like, you show up and you won't recognise him. Well, he looks yeah. nothing like it in Hot Fuzz. I know it's like 15 years later, but he was like, so. He's in, it is completely different. Like, he plays um, one of the... Um, he's also the baddie in The Mask of Zorro as well. But he's also, like... He, he, he played one, what, one of, like, sort of, like, the generals in, like, The Rock. Right. 
as an as on cameo, and I swear to God, if you saw him, in I can't that, place him you, in any of those things. Yeah, but if you, if, if I pulled up a screen, I might I might try and find it. But if, you pull, like, if I pulled up a picture, well, I'm gonna look up like, Stuart Wilson. He's actor. one of those character actors. He, he spots you'll be like, anything. I'm gonna do an image search on him now and just see if I. No, he just looks different in everything. I'm looking at him mm. in the Age of Innocence here, and I'm looking at him in. No, it hasn't got the name of the film there. Romance on the Orient Express, which is only Ooh. eight years before this, and he does not look even similar. And then if you go and see him in Hot Fuzz, he looks like an he looks like he a looks family doctor, again. totally different. He's obviously a very versatile actor, and you can blend in with any role. Yeah. yeah. So he's just one of those. I mean, obviously he's never going to be like a movie star kind of name, no. but but it just shows what actually what decent actor actually is. <laughs> he just yeah, likes to disappear into a role. So he didn't play the volleyball in Castaway then? No. Not that no. person. <laughs> okay. Even God, despite his really, name, no, he didn't. He really dissolves into a role. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are very few of those. We were talking only last week about how good and how versatile Joe Pesci is. But it's always Joe Pesci, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, even with blonde hair, it's still Joe Pesci. Yeah. Um, other point to make about this film uh, cinematographer Jan de Bont. Yeah. Oh yeah. So first change in cinematographer. It was the same guy for the first two films. It's going to be a different guy again next week. Jan de Bont. Well, it does is... look good this 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 year. Yeah. This it, week it does look good. Probably, I mean, not the other films don't, but he's going to be best known when he passes probably as a director for Speed, Speed Two, Cruise Control, oh, and gosh. the second uh, Tomb Raider film, Cradle of Life. Um, but I forgot as, you made that as well. Oh my god. Has Chris will and that haunted house movie? What was it? Um, House haunted Hill. Yeah. I didn't see that. Um, nor did I. I'm going to call him up a minute, actually. Have a look at his directing. Phone him up. Hello, Jan? The Haunting, sorry. That was the one with Catherine Zeta-Jones in it, I think. But, yeah, um, Liam Neeson. Was one with Eddie Murphy? No, that was a different one. No, that was, that was The Haunting <laughs> know, Mansion. That was a Disney sort of ride spin-off. And they <laughs> okay. never work. Uh, Camp Pirates of the Caribbean aside, I suppose. Um, he directed Twister as well. Um, which I always get confused with Dante's Peak. I keep thinking Brosnan's in it. He's not. Um, but he's also known as a cinematographer. In fact, the majority of his career has been as a cinematographer. Um, started in his native country on sort of quite adult films and working with Paul Verhoeven. But um, I suppose the, let's cut straight to the chase. He was the cinematographer on Die Hard. Um, yeah, uh, quite a few. Uh, Die Hard, Black Rain, uh, October. October, Basic Instinct, Flatliners. Yeah. So, so yeah. So he, so quite a few, like, you know, classic 80s. I, I wouldn't know where to look. I'm sorry, if I was the cinematographer on Basic Instinct, I wouldn't know where to look. <laughs> <laughs> and Cujo as well, also. Yeah, Cujo is uh, the Stephen King adaptation. Uh, the film didn't come that long after the um, uh, the Stephen King book. The The thing I remember it for is a fairly graphic sex scene in it with Dee Wallace, who's the mother in E.T., um, but yes, I have seen that. Uh, but and he did a, a film called Raw. Well, if anyone doesn't know about this film, this is a film that, uh, where they used actual live tigers in with the actors, and like you know, <laughs> and as, as you can imagine, there was quite. Well, a his few first film apparently had real sex and like erections <laughs> in it and stuff. So he does obviously he works with people who believe in keeping it real. Yeah. Um, in terms of American films, he also did all the right moves. Um, which was an early Tom Cruise effort. I think that's got Leia Thompson in it as well. Uh, Ruthless People, uh, which had Danny DeVito in. So, yeah, he, I think 
he's is is probably his his biggest talent as a is an as a cinematographer but he's had just enough hits as a director as well although he's only directed about four or five things mm. um but apart from that it's largely the same people i mean jeffrey bohm's screenplay again i think that will change next week largely the same cast with a couple of additions same music same everything so again continuity very similar length of film at a shade under two hours um similar price to last week about five million dollars more so adjusted probably very similar and this is the biggest uh, hit in the series it took about a hundred million more than lethal weapon 2 do you think that's probably down to the reduced rating well so obviously this was well in, well, in in our terms, it was a fifteen, wasn't it? I'm not sure about the states. But that that suggests it would be a PG thirteen to me. But mm-hmm. like we said last week, they don't always line up. But let's just make the assumption for a minute, and we're happy to be corrected. Sometimes we say these things, and we say, "Don't worry about correcting us because it doesn't matter." But if there's any Americans listening who can remember or look it up for us, we're happy to be corrected on this. Uh, but let's assume it was for a minute PG thirteen, and I see no reason why it wouldn't be. Um. I suppose it sounds obvious now that PG-13 is a bit of a sweet spot for these films. Like, Think back to Batman Begins, Casino Royale. You can put a fair amount of violence and even hint at sort of blood and stuff without sacrificing a rating and get bigger audiences in. But as obvious as it sounds to us, some fairly big films in the 80s and early 90s did come out R-rated. And the only thing that occurs to me is studios must have learnt the lesson somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Mm. that when you do the Taken franchise you do all the sequels at the lower rating even though it's probably not that well suited to it I mean Taken's another story in in itself because the reduced cut harms the editing of the film really badly I mean at one point someone dies just sitting down it's 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 mm. only when you watch the well yes they think of um, the, the, the newish diehard films where they're just like you've got CGI blood splatters Stuff like that. Yeah. What was um I, I would have thought Die Hard with a Vengeance must have been R rated. I mean, I can't imagine you can have someone naked in a park with I hate the N word on a card <laughs> and have that PG thirteen. Yeah. I think, there was a fifteen over here. But, I think yeah. I think Live Free and Die or Die Hard onwards, which was Die Hard four point zero over here, but we won't acknowledge that when we do Die Hard. Um Live Free or Die Hard, I think, onwards was, was the sort of PG thirteen, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a twelve, definitely. Yeah, definitely yeah. twelve. Yeah. Um. So they've learnt the lesson from somewhere. I I don't know. I don't know if it's because they they've literally learnt that's the better way to do it, or that historically less so now with ongoing franchises like Marvel. But historically, sequels never did quite as well. If one of them did, it tended to be the second one. So perhaps it's almost to offset falling box office. As you go along, you just soften it and make it friendlier. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I could also find on a release, like, come at the right time, where there's, it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't really got any major competitors. Because uh, when, when did this come out? This was this summer. Was, and I'm trying to remember what came out in 92 without looking it up. Because the whole point about how strong a year is, how much do you remember without looking it up? 1989, we could sit here for ages, and and then we start running out, and suddenly you'll name another one, and it's like there's loads of them. 92, let me think. Batman Returns. That was uh, that, that was the biggest one of the year. Uh, well, ba- Batman, yeah, and actually, Batman Forever was a response to it because the box office dropped quite a lot from the first one. Mm. 
I think that took 200 and something, whereas the first one took 400 and something. The, I think, something like 270 without looking. Uh, also in 92 would have been Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I have to say, I'm starting to struggle. I've got a fun fact about that coming up at the end of the show. What, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah. Cool, all right. Um, what else came out this year? There was there were no Bond films. Bond wasn't existing. There were no, no superhero films. I mean, it, it, it would have oh. been if, if they stayed on track. Um, so you haven't taken that six-year break. Oh, my God. <laughs> Patrick, uh, Patrick uh, Games. Uh, yeah. Unforgiven. Oh, yeah, Basic, really. Basic Instincts. I always think I thought that was all later. Uh, sneakers, which is quite uh, the bodyguard. That's probably a, a probably the a bodyguard yeah, would be the, the, yes. the big one probably because Patriot Games. Even though Jack Ryan had been on film, this was just mm. this was almost like a. a I always thought that was like, like late nineties. I don't know why. Sorry. And I think Patriot Games might have had a higher rating as well, because I mean you had Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Reservoir Dogs, mm. etc. But. Yeah, they, they were like sort of 18 oh, or like NT17. A few good men. Yeah, Alien Free. Yeah, a few good men, which. Where's our dogs, of course? There's some quality films this year, but there's. A I lot think of 90s them are, are not like every massive. great decade for movies. Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Candyman. Bust Mohicans. Yeah. My Cousin Vinny, which we talked about for, uh, last week. Okay, oh, yeah. Another, <laughs> another film I mistakenly put in the previous year uh, Army Wayne's of Darkness. Ball. Yeah, Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. Oh, yeah. uh, which, which is on Netflix now if you're in the UK and uh, do you watch it it's terrible it is really bad <laughs> I think it... I remember seeing that back in the 90s and never again well I, I don't know what they were thinking when like Sylvester Stallone said, probably said something along the lines of Look, I'm getting a bit older now I need to diversify <laughs> let's do this film what sort of audience should, should I go for and they said how about the golden girls demographic <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, the sad thing is, though, like, I remember, like, sort of being in the cinema, walking out and seeing, like, the poster of it and thinking, oh, I might want to see that. <laughs> this is me, me as, like, as a 10-year-old kid or something, so... Uh, some of these films are really of their time. Singles came out this year, which is kind of the Seattle grunge scene with Matt Dillon. Mm. Um, yeah, so it, it's not a marquee year, even though there's a lot of sort of reasonably memorable films that year. We're not talking, like, absolute super blockbusters. Mm. Not really. El Mariachi was this year, but that was a film made for $7,000. So, yeah. Romper Stomper, film that first brought Russell Crowe to any kind of prominence. Although uh, LA Confidential made him a star. Uh, like There were a lot of sort of films that kind of... I mean, Universal Soldier was this film this year. And everyone was like, that's this year's Terminator 2. And of course, it really wasn't. <laughs> no, um, no, it wasn't. Under Siege, which I've never liked. Unforgiven's a great film, but again, you know, in terms of box office smashes, a uh, you know, a western starring a sixty odd year old. This it was more of a critical darling than anything else. Although it had a hell of a cast. Mm. Um, not strangely, we're not covering it in all the westerns. But there you go. Um, first memories of this film. Um, I've seen it once. We're not oh. doing all the westerns then, are we? Well, yeah, I know, but that's just a runny joke. We're doing the, <laughs> we're doing the only westerns that's five films. We're doing a select, select Well, we were going to do four, but then I realised The Fist's Full of Dynamite, which I've never seen, which is also oh. known as Duck You Sucker, if anyone wants to look it up. Um, that's the last one. So we'll do the five ones. I was, we were thinking of doing Once Upon a Time in America, but it's just too fucking... It is, like, too long. Uh, 
We need like three episodes for yeah. that. Talking of which, I was asked today if I wanted to review Zack Snyder's Justice League, and someone said to me, "Can you get the review in for Friday?" And it's out on like Thursday, and it's four hours long. It's like it's going no, too long. So I started watching the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman tonight, just because oh. I've got to put myself back in the mindset of what they were going for with a follow-up to it. I saw that was on Sky TV like, over the weekend. Or, yeah. and I thought, oh, God. It's not great, though, because I'm braced for what it is, like the first hour I've watched, and it's like, okay, I'm all right watching it, but it does mean when we cover DC, we've got like two versions of Dust Justice League to, to <laughs> cover, and I imagine them, them to be rather different from each other. But we'll see. Um, as for this film, I saw it literally in my living room on an old cathode ray TV when it was a year or two old. Um, and I'm thinking I must have got the video because network television premieres were not within a year or two back then. And I definitely sort of saw it before I sort of left home and went to university and so on. So I think I probably saw this 94 sometime, maybe early 95. Oh, no, it would have been 94 given where I saw it on video and I just remember thinking it was a bit nothing I do remember thinking because uh, the first time I saw Rennie Russell I remember thinking what a beautiful woman she was and how good she was in it um, and really the only other real star vehicle she had after this was probably the Thomas Crown Affair um, which when you think she's got to go up against sort of Faye Dunaway's original she did a really good job in that and Brosnan did as well. Not the biggest Brosnan fan as Bond, but Brosnan did a great job in the um, Thomas Crown Affair remake. He was well suited mm. to that role. Um, very, He's very suited to the sort of weary version of the matinee idol. I think if he'd lent into that more as Bond, almost more of a Brosnan, it actually would have suited him better, even though we think of him as light and quippy. But um, So I just remember I saw this, I think I saw this before Lethal Weapon 2, and the reason being he puts his shoulder back in at one point and I didn't get that it was a reference to something we found out he could do in the first, second one. Yeah. I might have said the opposite of that this week, but bear in mind, listeners, uh, you remember things as you go sometimes. You think you saw it in like a year. I th- I might have thought I saw you Lethal Weapon 2 like a year or two after it was made and then you watch this one and go, ah, there were things in this that I didn't get that were a callback. Um, so my history with it is incredibly short. Tonight is only the second time I've seen it. I was aware it was a bit lighter. And the other thing that makes me realise I saw Lethal Weapon 2 second of these two is that I was expecting Lethal Weapon 2 to be very similar in terms of annoying Joe Pesci presence. And even though his screen time probably isn't that much different, he's even more annoying tonight. When you go back and watch Lethal Weapon 2 second of these two um he actually seems relatively restrained even though he's not so that's my history i'll get to my first thoughts in a minute what about you guys uh back was this your first viewing sorry um yes it was yeah i've never seen this one before um although i do i've got like a vague memory of um where i live there used to be like a really old rundown video shop uh video rentals remember them um it wasn't blockbuster it was like an indie one um and for some reason, like, they always used to play the trailer for this film. Um, and there's, like, posters up everywhere. I think the owner must have been, like, a real fan. Um, but as soon as, like, that poster of where you've got Riggs and Mortar and then you've got Joe Pesci trying to get in, trying to squeeze in the middle, um, 
that seemed to stick on my mind for some reason. I was thinking, where have I seen that before? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, first first viewing of this film, I'd never seen it before. Uh, maybe seen the trailer a hundred million times um, due to going to that video shop and also seeing the poster quite a lot. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I'd never seen it before. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing well, obviously I think I remember seeing it advertised like around cinemas and that. I even remember seeing like the trailer um, while I was watching... <laughs> Illegally watching Batman Returns. Naughty, <laughs> naughty. That was when ten-year-old Chris went to watch a twelve, and we're not even oh, sure if he turned naughty, ten naughty. by this point. But um, yeah, before it was a twelve A. Uh, yeah, boy. this was when it was that he was breaking the law. Did you dress up as? Did you get on a you know a mate's shoulders and actually go in as with your overcoat? He wore and a false moustache and a hat and dark glasses. He wore a tie and a yeah. false moustache and came in with like a scotch and soda in his hands. <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> Would you please make, give me a seat for your most excellent lethal weapon three, my good man? Yes, I'm forty three. Uh... <laughs> I would like to see Batman Returns. Thank you. Uh, or did I say it? Obviously, I the wonder. Yeah, yeah, it's my adult yes, I hear it has adult themes likely to upset young <laughs> folks, but as you can see, I'm a grown man. <laughs> I work in a bank, you know. <laughs> and hopefully, in a few years' time, I'll be able to watch Unbreakable in Cheltenham. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, do, do excuse me. I'm a bit short for my age. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The thing is, he missed the, he, he missed the, he missed the trailer to Lethal Weapon three because he was too busy reading Wordsworth to try to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that that was my and then and of course, like I think it came on like ITV on Saturday night sometime. Yeah. Um, he so was so well, shocked when he dislocated it. his shoulder that he dropped his ice cream all all down his um cravat. <laughs> so yeah, so you saw it on TV basically, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. Was this a particularly cut version on TV? Do you know? The problem is, and this is kind of pro- probably like a what what will be like or, or everyone's opinion on this, but um, I kind of can't remember. <laughs> You know, I you know, it, you know, my memory of this one has always been the most vaguest. You know, I can kind of like remember like all, all I remember what it's like. But I think I said this last week. I said what I got wrong, and the reason I got it wrong is because it was all I could remember. Well, that's not fair. Um, one of the few things I could remember was him putting his shoulder back. But because it loomed large in my memory, I thought it was a running joke through the whole film. It wasn't. He does it once. And I said it was outside, maybe on a building site. And if you look at where it happens, it is kind of that. Uh, The only other thing I remember is Rennie Russell getting into a fight with all those guys. And as they're Mm -hmm. about to sort of steam in, Riggs just says, no, watch this. And that's all I remembered of this film. Apart from Joe Pesci severely irritating me. And I remember them running away from the explosion, but I don't remember, at the start of the film, I mean, but I don't remember if I remembered it from the film or whether I remember it from, like, an advert at the start of, like, videotapes for DVD. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So yeah, that's true actually. It's yeah starting to come in around this time. Well, I never understood that. You'd go and rent a video, and at the start of the video, there'd be an advert go going, "Look how good this picture and sound quality is for DVD," and you're watching it on a video. It's yeah, like, you have that kind of split that, screen that, thing. It's not, you. It's, like VHS, it's, it's all crappy and grey, and not, the DVD it's all not new and shiny. To me, that that is inherently VHS standard because I'm watching a VHS. Mm. But there you go. Um, the first thoughts on it for me tonight is. I, re- I struggled with it, I have to say. It had a lot of the things that I thought would be wrong on paper with the first one, if you described it to me, and that it's tonally a bit all over the place. It's a, it's a knockabout comedy with a really dark bit after he shoots that kid. Um, we've gone from Riggs' methods being unorthodox and a bit driven by, not insanity, but certainly instability, but they kind of get to the right result by the wrong route, if you like. To him going in and just cutting into a bomb when the bomb squad are coming along. And I know the film puts them back in patrol, but frankly, they should be, like, fired and sued. Um, so I thought the, the, the playing up the comedy craziness of the Riggs character was not really working this time. Even when you look at the poster, it screams this is a comedy. It, if you put different actors in the same uniforms with the same haircuts, you'd think it was a loaded weapon or something. You'd think it was like, mm-hmm. oh, look, it's a parody of Lethal Weapon. And yeah, they're Joe Pesci in that annoying character role in the original. Um, and I just found the plot a little bit unengaging. I think Bill Gibson is not an old man at this point. But, I, I, I mean, he's still clearly in shape because at one point he pretty much strips down. You can see there's no fat <laughs> They get naked. But it, he's sort of looking too old for the mullet now. I know the mullet's not he the best. He has a haircut next time. Well, I, I know the, a mullet's not necessarily the best ageing haircut of all time. But he, he suddenly looks like an old version of like Riggs in the first one. And I just think, like, I don't know what this film is offering me. It, Pesci is irritating. It is just their next case again. He's no longer a lethal weapon. He's more of a sort of comfy weapon. That's um, crazy weapon. And Rene Russo's great, but much like most of Rene Russo's career, she's been sort of a, a beauty with screen presence, a little bit wasted in most of the stuff mm. she's done as a supporting character. We were saying off air before we came came on that she's one of those sort of three or four actresses I can think of that should have been a much bigger star. One, Another one being Linda Fiorentino. I think I mentioned Greta Scacchi. Uh, and there's a few others like that over the years where you just think, why weren't you just massive? And they weren't. Um, maybe it's because she came along a little bit later because she's about 38 here, which is far from old, but we know what Hollywood's like. And we were talking off air that she was denied uh, the Batman Forever role um, a year or two later, or three years later, because uh, Val Kilmer was brought to the role and she was older than Val Kilmer and Hollywood in that era would not wear it, even though the age difference was something like six years, which is just far from outrageous. Um, so I was really disappointed by it. I was rather bored and and the point occurred. I, d- I didn't think it was terrible. I still enjoyed some of the sort of byplay between them. But it felt like they were just dreaming up silly things for them to do. So you had the toilet bomb in the first one, and then you've got this ridiculous bomb sequence in this that ain't that funny. Um, and you've got... It him... kind of starts and ends with a bomb, doesn't it? 
I know, and then you've got him almost like I know he's a bit wired, a bit different, but you've got him almost getting like turned on when Renny Russo's kicking those guys up. And I'm thinking, God, their their bedroom behaviour must be really fucking odd. <laughs> um, you know, she's just beats, he should have got a bomb. He's not interested. Beats up the fucking waitress to turn him on or something. You know, um, it's and the other the thought occurred, and this is probably the most disrespectful thing I could say of Richard Donner at this point, because I think Richard Donner's had a, a, a very good career in many, many ways, and what Richard Donner is particularly good at is who he chooses to collaborate with. You know, I'm, I may not be the biggest fond of, fan of his Bond work, but his choice of Mankiewicz for, for, to rescue that Superman project was perfect. You know, he's got, he, he always works with good people who turn out decent scripts and good, good, solid professionals. And, you know, Jan de Bont, it, you know, it's only a few years after he's done the iconic sort of action film of that era. So, and it's only a year or two before he directed Speed, which was really, really popular and very good. Um, so, but the thought occurred a couple of times is, is Richard Donner not very good at action? And the reason I said that was the final quarter to third of the first film was the bit that lost me a bit. I was bored during all the action last week, although I thought the action was a bit better than the first film. And every time they weren't just stood around chatting, I was a bit bored this week. And then I think back to Superman and I'm thinking, well, partly that was the rush they were in and having to make one self-contained rather than run into two. But the last third of that's the weakest. I mean, Superman's a wonderful film, but only about two thirds to three quarters of it. And um, so I'm not going to slaughter it. It's not one of the awful films we've ever covered, but it's a bigger than expected step down from the first two. I thought it was going to have a lighter tone, but it's it, it plays more like a parody in places for me. And that's just me. What about you guys? Baka? Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I think for me, I you know enjoyed the first two films. Um, I can see the first one, you know, is, is really iconic, um, and the second film as well. I can see why, you know, it's hugely, hugely popular. Um, for me, I did sort of, you know, almost kind of. If I'm going to rank them, I would probably pay. Not that the first one is terrible, because it's not. Um, but it's, I would have probably enjoyed the second one more, um, just for the you know for the action kind of content as well. But here as well, I'm, I I did struggle with it a little bit. I kind of feel it's quite busy because you've got the introduction of um of lorna um who's brilliant kick-ass character um quite a busy plot like i didn't really get a feel for like the, the sort of main villains i mean you know good performances but i just feel like they, you know they're just generic generic villains generic nasties really um but i didn't really sort of get a, get a feel for them beyond that so i kind of felt you know obviously you just like them because they're the villains but you didn't get a real chance to kind of know very much about them apart from being corrupt cops and you know drug running drugs on the side i mean there's, there's a subplot involving um <coughs> Excuse me. Of, um, what's the name? I can't remember. He's kind of involved in like in gang culture and things like that. And there's that kind of subplot which is never never fully explored. Um, and also you've got uh, Jay Pesci. I mean, he's he's always a joy. But I, I agree with you, Dave. As well, he tends to play the same sort of characters. And here he did great on me a little bit, unfortunately. Um, but he, you know, he's known for playing these sort of characters. Um, and he can sort of play on it and turn it on his head. Um, and you know continue to turn up in these really iconic roles um but for me it just seemed too busy there's a lot going on um uh, there's a lot of plot holes as well and a lot of kind of threads that were kind of left up you know and and i don't know disconnected there was quite a lot of disconnect for me in this film uh, but I, I love the script it's, it's a funnier script as i say it's a lot lighter um 
uh, sorry, I struggle with names. Um, Mel Gibson um, has a lot, you know, he's got a more funnier lines, and there's a lot of red play as well. Like it's back and forth between him and Rene Russo. I think it's really, really clever, and it just shows how, you know, it shows their attraction to each other, and it shows like how, you know, how kind of alike they are. Um, and that scene where they show, each, you know, they're showing each other their scars. I think that's really cleverly done, really well choreographed. Um, this action scene is definitely more explosive. Um, there's, you know, more more massive set pieces here than you can shake a stick at. You know, action is definitely it gets higher and, and higher in stakes with each film um and yeah that was that was incredible um but yeah apart from that it just kind of left me a bit flat really <laughs> so sorry i think for me it's kind of not, not i don't really rate this one as, as high as, as the other two um but certainly in terms of the script it's funnier i, I think um, what I and the action scenes are better so. what i would say on joe pesci just from my point of view because i didn't really address it is the difference is I don't like Jim Carrey very much, but the one thing I did say when we did Batman Forever was he's doing what he's been hired to do. And yeah, Joe, he Pesci, did job. Joe Pesci here has been hi- doing what he's been hired to do. Yeah. And he's, he's doing it he well. Plays a, he plays well, he does it's that job. Just, the joke seemed to be last week that he was a bit of a wisecracker, but he was irritating the shit out of them. Whereas this year, this week, the film almost on a meta level thinks he's entertaining us and I'm not finding him entertaining. I'm finding him deeply fucking annoying. I kind of feel he's a bit extraneous here. Like we didn't, we don't really need him. Because, oh, he's crammed I mean, we, in terribly, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. I kind of yeah. feel like it's, it's to the film's detriment a little bit. I mean, you know, they, we didn't kind of need the comic relief because you've already got, you know, um, Riggs's zingy lines and the camaraderie with, with Lorna. Um, and you know, and everything else that's going on. So I kind of feel like it's, you know, it's, it's good to see him again. He's always, you know, he's always good value for money. But here, I feel he is shoehorned in, and doesn't, and just really, you know, for me, I just find it a bit, bit much. <laughs> really sorry. It's pretty much extended cameo, though. Really. Well, it I mean, is. Like, yeah, I know I he's mean, not like, speaking very long, but still. I mean, I mean, but that's the thing. It's like you know, a lot, of, a lot of time. He, he doesn't really need to be there. He could have just had him as like, you know, in a few scenes. Like you know, yourself them sell, sell the house or whatever, and just those kind of kind of things. Maybe the maybe the occasional like, oh oh I know oh I know that guy. Oh he's, he works in he he owns that property and so and so. Which yeah, leads or he, to, like, you last... know it maybe he bothers them when they're off duty. You know they pop into a cafe, a diner or something, and he's just there. And in trying to get rid of him, he just drops that he happens to know something they're looking for. Yeah, that sort of thing. I'm I'm not suggesting that would be wildly more entertaining. But that's kind of how you shoehorn it, horn him in. Whereas here, it's kind of random when he turns up. I mean, the, 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 I mean, at first, I mean, the thing about the film, this film, which which you know really shone out to me was, it's it's very much a product of committee, as I think you'd say, or maybe not committee, but like just too many like ideas, like you know, Richard Donner has his ideas, you know, uh, the, the first scriptwriter. Um, well, uh, what's name? Jeffrey Bonham. Jeffrey Bonham. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he wrote he, he wrote a script. They didn't like. They wanted to change that. Richard didn't have Pesci in, so they actually wrote in scenes with Pesci in. Um, you know, it's like oh no, I want some more more humour. Didn't didn't like. I mean, originally Renny Russo's guy was um, character was going to be a guy. It's kind of like a like a almost like a like a a rival, so to speak. Not like in a you know, unlike in a villainous way type of thing, but like has like, oh, like, there's a kind of like new guy, new, new guy on the block kind of thing, who's kind of just as capable as he is. Um, but then they decide to make it um, make female like a love interest type thing. Um, it's just so it's just so many like different like ideas bouncing around. I, I, originally, it was going to be Mel Gibson having a 
uh, affair with Murtaugh's uh, uh, daughter, <laughs> which right. that would that would have turned out differently. But um, but he used to tell us just it's it's just crammed with stuff and it's just crammed with like set pieces and you think did you need that you know it it just seemed to be a bit too oh well, you know we've got to have this we got to, you know we've got to have that set that set piece got to have that character in and I think and as we'll get to the last film next week it kind of feels like it just they made the film as an excuse to kind of like get together and have a bit of fun because there is very much like a yeah the the team's all here we know we're like well, that was literally the tagline I mean the first yeah. one was uh, Danny Glover carries a lethal weapon Mel Gibson is one by film four it's the gang's all here yeah <laughs> gang to entertain you I mean and, and, and it, it, as, you know spoilers for next week it literally ends with a big family photo so it it's so it, I, I think that's kind of the problem. Put it this know. way, to give you a hint, Vin Diesel probably saw it at the time and thought, that's the fucking stuff. Thought that's a good idea. <laughs> when he saw that last scene of the film, he went, well, that's how you do a series, he thought. In, in fairness, Vin Diesel did it better. <laughs> you know, he did. He did. We can laugh at their themes of family, but they do actually make them land. Yeah. Um, but so there you go. It's, yeah, so it, it just feels like it, they're more... That seems to be the main focus, and it just seems to be so detached from its origins now that it's just like another generic early 90s action flick. I mean, Mel looks recognisably the same generation as he was Mm. in the first one. It's only been like six years, but five years, sorry. But somehow he looks just old enough and uh, just cosy enough as a character now. And the sort of, I'm too old for this shit. I don't know if Murtaugh even says that in this film, but the whole demeanour of the, you know, six days from retirement, ten days from retirement, three days from retirement kind of thing. It made me think on this viewing, which it couldn't have done at the time for reasons that will become obvious, of the recent Coming to America sequel. In that Coming to America, in turn, reminded me of Ocean's Twelve. In In all of those three films... They feel like they're following up success. Uh, they don't really have any ideas, so let's vaguely do a little bit of greatest hits and just look like we got together to have because we enjoy each other's company. Of the three of the motions, twelve at least tries to do something semi-different, and it looks different because it's in a very different location because uh, it's European as opposed to Vegas in that one. But certainly with coming to America, it is like a very very poor rehash of the first film with all of the sort of character development and, and stuff under uh, overwritten uh, and just undone. And it, it was, it, it comes off as a bit of an insult that it's just an opportunity to have a load of cameos and some songs and, and stuff like that. This isn't mm. quite that bad, but it, 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 it almost feels like they've decided to bring it back like 10 years later, not three years later. Yeah. It, 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 it couldn't decide like, what it's felt. I mean, the striking thing I kept thinking throughout it, well, this is coming to America, is, well, surely, you know, it, it, its focus should be on his son who, or, you know, which is kind of weird because I was half expecting it to turn out to be not his son, but there you go. Um, well, the film never actually gives us any evidence it is. Yeah, no, but... Because the, so the mum's even kept, like, well, I suppose I kept, it could I, be I his. I kept expecting that to be the twist, yeah. but... Hey, um, but also, but if it's about him who lives in America coming coming over to um, uh, what what was that? 
Zamunda. Zamunda. Yeah. Surely the, the, the se- title to the sequel should be Coming From America. Yes. Yes. You know. There's not much America in it. They pop to America to have a reprise of the barbershop where they're having... They look all about the same age, even though... I mean, it's old age makeup on what are now older men themselves, but they look pretty much the same. The Clint, the Clint what it, Smith character looks a bit older because he was wearing less makeup in the first place. That boy's good, that one. Mm. Um, but they have. I also same... think they, they I... missed a they, they missed a chance of just having uh, Cooper Gooding Jr. just just sat in the chair not saying anything. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> just smiling. I, I do think of that. I did look just to see if it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you think of the first film, it was like uh, Rocky Marciano, Rocky Marciano. Um, yeah. What's he called? Uh, Joe Lewis is 137 years old. Uh, it's the same conversations, except they're talking about Floyd Mayweather instead. Um, yeah. And it, it's just a very lazy film. And very early on the film, you, you've got like Morgan Freeman and on Vogue. And I'm thinking, this is just a celebrity fucking loving. There's no film here. And Eddie Murphy, as a, the, the character of Akeem, has unlearned everything from the first film. And he's got a wife there who's living in what is now an incredibly, and I hate using this term, patriarchal society, when the first lesson he learned in the film was not to live that way. You've still got rose bearers, you've still got group bathing, and it's all the things that, like, the first film taught him wasn't for him. And it's really bad. But the worst thing is, we can't say, but at least it was really funny, when he kept referring to his son as the bastard, my bastard son, whoever, that was funny the first couple of times. Then it got tiring because there's a formality to sort of Zamundan speech patterns, which mm-hmm. makes it funny. It isn't the term bastard that's funny. It's the term being used in a formal sentence structure like that. Um, but frankly, coming to America is roughly on a par with Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, ouch. Mm. Roughly. Um, and that's, and anyway. that's, about, that's about the date rape. <laughs> ouch. Yeah. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Um, oh, yeah, and the other thing is you get a de-aged Eddie Murphy because they have to show us what didn't happen, obviously, in the 1988 film, but they've got to retcon it to get this film out of it, which cheapens the first film a little bit. I get annoyed when sequels make the original worse. That's why I didn't mm. like Rise of Skywalker because it just retroactively fucked up Star Wars for me. Um you could argue that about The Last Jedi, but at least it tried to do something different. I admired The Last Jedi's bravery. But um, the thing with Coming to America is it makes Coming to coming to America makes Coming to America worse. And uh, there's a de so you, so you get confused just by talking about the two different films. Yeah, you? basically, <laughs> if, you, if you emphasise the two, you mean the sequel. Yeah. Um, but the, it's got like a re-engineered scene from the first film. They literally show you scenes from the first film like we're fucking idiots. Um, but then they they insert this new scene with him, and it's a de-aged Eddie Murphy. It's clearly not his body because Eddie Murphy's gained a little weight. He's not fat, but he's older, um, and he's got this de-aged face, and it looks like someone else's face has melted onto his. It looks terrible. It reminded me. Older. It's like Patrick Stewart in the uh, X Men Origins film at the end. That de-aged effect. It looks. Or was it X Men Three? X Men. Yeah, it's one of the X Men movies, wasn't it? I think yeah. it was both of them actually. Uh, but certainly at the start of X-Men 3, where it sort of looks all right, providing no one moves. And it was, it was the same. It looked, at the first glance, I thought, this is all right. And as soon as it moved, it was almost like I could see the pixels. It was awful. Um, 
Yeah, some of those films it doesn't really hold up in HD. Yeah. Now, Lethal Weapon is nowhere near. Lethal Weapon Three is nowhere near that bad. It was still relatively enjoyable in itself, but it feels like it's spinning its wheels. And whilst it doesn't directly hurt the first film, I still feel like I wish we'd been left with Riggs just a little edgier. He's just a bit too cosy here, and in order to sort of ramp up that sense that he's still a bit threatening. They have to have him do really fucking silly things, like the bomb stunt at the start. There's not, a, there's not a competent cop in the world that would do that. Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. He's not like, well, he's not suicidal like in the first film. I mean, yeah, he's always been a bit reckless, but not in a stupid way, like, like, like he, he like the jumper in the first film. Yeah. Well, yeah. you said bring him down. I brought him down. Well, technically, you're right. There's a logic to what you've just done, yeah. but it's just a it's just a hair raising way to do it. Yeah, so it, it's a bit spectacular. But then again, it's like it's not like I'm going to actively sort of risk destroying a building for the sake of it, you know. Um, um, so, I mean, yeah, for me, as I said it's just a film made out committee. I mean, I didn't, you know. It was it was kind of one of the films where like oh this film's I was like a bit worried that you know, the first third of the film was kind of boring me and then I kind of got into it better than I thought it would yeah so there was, there was stuff in it that, I didn't have that, any problem that, with it till it went all actiony at the end and it just seems of its era like yeah. you know gun muzzles flashing all the time and the mind behind things and firing at each other well I suppose that's an action film but yeah. when an action film really takes me I forget all of that I don't sit there going yeah just mm-hmm. typical action film whereas I did with this. I mean, I, the bad guys aren't really memorable, even though um, uh, Stuart Wilson actually does a good job. But he he does, does a good like, job, but I, I'd forgotten him before I watched it again. I mean, I mean it does, yeah, it they, help, they weren't all that memorable, were they? I don't think. It doesn't help that he just looks like a car salesman. But it. But then. Um, he was a bank manager last week. We've we, we yeah. moved, moved out of banking and into sales. And. Um, but he kind of play, but he kind of plays it in a kind of that that kind of typical villain villain way. He he he's almost like he would be a likable character if he weren't doing like the killings and things like that. You know, do you know what I mean? If he weren't just like being like a flat out bastard. Yeah. Um, if you don't if you he, don't talk to him about work, you can go around his house for a barbecue. Yeah, he's like kind of very affable, very smooth talking, and kind of like you know, a bit sarcastic, a bit sort of like. But, a little, a little bit. I think what he's like. He's basically Scorpio in that episode of The Simpsons. Hank, <laughs> Hank Scorpio. Hank Scorpio you, yeah. you only moved twice or something. Yeah, he is a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a really nice guy apart from all the sort of world domination bollocks. Apart from the megalomania. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of a bit like that. Um, but I'm having the hollowed so, out volcano lair, which you hide a rocket <laughs> in, again, in Italy or France. Again, you 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 look at his like henchmen, and they're just like just like regular sort of guys. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't look like your typical like, like heavies who look like you. You, you, you look memorable, or yeah. just like you know. I guys think in that. Jackets. I think that's that one of those another... things. Though, is it? it's maybe because they look more normal. I mean, because he looks like a car salesman. Because they kind of look like you know the, a guy that you would see on the street, for example. Like maybe that does make them a bit more scary because then they're not like. <clears throat> That, you know they don't look like your stereotypical villains. Maybe that does make them more scary. But I, I agree with you, Chris. They're kind of like they're, they're not very memorable. Or they're not I mean, that scary. You kind of have to like think, you know, Bond got it right. You know, it's henchmen, regardless of whether they were big, tough, small, weedy, or whatever. They looked interesting and they're yes. memorable. They stand out. Yes. 
Um, I, I think and that's what you, what you need. You want someone who looks a bit. Oh, he's a bit weird. I, I think it's yeah. the the unconscious. Or, 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 or look really. Sort I mean, of you, you watch like a you watch like an Under Siege or something like that, and that that is an unconsciously diehard. That's let's copy diehard. I mean, cliffhanger. We I know we have different views on that film, but that's diehard on a mountain. And there was a raft of them, and you still get things that are kind of influenced by it even today. But if there's one unconscious thing I think that came out of Die Hard, it was the everyman. Now, that might be on the action hero side, in that sort of Schwarzenegger and all his muscles and that started to go out of vogue, and the sort of balding guy with a bit of a paunch became a little bit more of a thing. But I think it came I think, into... I think it started when, like, the actors, like, I think not it, that, I th- just action stars. Yeah, I think it just became, yeah, proper actors, yeah. I mean, Bruce Willis made his name in a sitcom, not not as, like, a TV heavy or hard man or anything like that. Um but if you look at Die Hard, yeah, okay, the guy, the guy with the long blonde hair that killed himself, the the he looks like a, he looks like a henchman, but Alan Rickman just looks like he could be a businessman, mm. and I I just think that the unconscious thing of Die Hard is we just moved away from like uh, physical ailments or like oiled muscles for a few years, and and when it's not done very well you do end where, where they just look like they work for the civil service or something yeah and we've had that all the way through i mean i i, I can't speak for next week because i know we've got jet lee next week and i can't remember how good bad or indifferent he was um but certainly of the first three films there's like one villain and one henchman standing out isn't there and it's joss ackland and gary Busey, and both of those wouldn't be out of place in bond films would they no no not, not, not particularly, um, but I, th- I just think maybe this is the attitude, like maybe they think, oh well, it's just a villain, it's not that important, you know. The, the important thing is like the, you know, the leads and 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 what they're doing, kind of things. I think that would probably be like the mindset of Richard Donner and mm. and and and, 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 and I do and the believe rest. that because I think with Superman, he was always interested in Superman's journey. You know, he was it, his Superman films were mm. about. Superman's love for Lois more than they were about anything else, and, he, yeah. and his own sense of guilt for what he could or couldn't do for humanity. Um, and, which, and I, did... which I agree that that's probably the most important, but you do have to lean into, you do have to have the villain that that leans up against it, do you know what I mean? It has well, like, I've only just of... remembered that the plot of this film is to do with arms. I mean, the first two were mm. about drugs. And it's just generic action films. It's not unlike something you'd have got in Miami Vice or something. Mm. And they're, they're superior to... Oh, I, I can't speak for Miami Vice. I've seen it for years. Probably hideously dated. But, I mean, these these are still superior films. I don't want anyone listening to think we're really slaughtering this film. I had a reasonable time with it. But put it up against Lethal Weapon. If you haven't seen Lethal Weapon and you watch this, it's an affable buddy cop film with a really irritating sidekick. But it's all right. Um... But we're falling quite fast here. And, and in both films, I've wondered what the reason for being is. And it's got worse each week, because in the first one, there was still sort of Murtaugh having to deal with his kids growing up. You know, the condom advert was a throwaway joke, mm. but it was funny, and it actually did inform character. Um, and Murtaugh, uh, sorry, Riggs having to sort of, like, confront what happened to his wife and actually try and fit in with the family in that... He's round there having his laundry done, where you could feel a bit of a spare part there and stuff. Uh, but each week it's just becoming like they've just cooked up another adventure here. And they're interesting, but what made them interesting was a mixture of their chemistry, which is still there, 
and where the two characters were, which is now being stretched because Riggs has behaved like a man on the verge of retirement for three films now. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that the film kind of misses its focus because really, to me, when you think about the wide scheme of like of the film, it should its main focus should be on Mursar. Uh, and it's almost like Mursar, like, you know, he's a guy who's about to retire, but he's also in conflicts because, you know, it does an interesting where, like, you know, he shoots basically his son's mate. You, you know, even though it's justified. Strange but it's still decision like, in a film that's this much lighter throughout. Yeah, and it's so. and it's um, and you know, even though it's a, it's, it you know, it's a, it's a fucked up thing to sort of go through. Um, and it's just and and I think I would have liked to see more emphasis, especially when he's like there, like be be the one pissed on the, pissed on on the boat, and it's Riggs is the one who has to sort of, you know, get him back on track. You know what I mean? And it's you know, it's like I, I kind of think, see, that's your film. You know, you should have focused more on that and be kind of like almost like a par- like a parallel to the first film, where it's like, you know, Riggs manages to sort of find, you know, um, salvation. You know, well, it's like, well, this film, Murtar kind of like, kind of loses his way a bit, and it's Riggs who has to help him find salvation. You know, it would have been like more coherent vision of it, I think. But that's what we're missing like here we're many. missing any vision at all mm. <clears throat> um, but again we're being as happens now and again when you start picking over the detail of a film you're probably a bit harsher than you felt about it you know I, I didn't dislike it Yeah. but what hurts this as well is you know we watched the second one last week in fact we were late recording last week so we, the chances are we watched it fairly close to this one and then a week before that we watched um, the first one. So the first two are very, very fresh to us now. I dare say, if I hadn't watched either Lethal Weapon film for a couple of years, this would feel better. But anyway, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Yes, so. Um, I was first things first. I, I thought this was going to be a really short show just because I don't think there's much to this film. Well, no, I mean, look. Let's let's start with the beginning. Now we we get a very flash title sequence with you know flames, seeing flames and going, Sting, and and Sting singing a very dull, well, it's, slow, it's, yeah, melodic the song. Pro- the song is it's probably me. Which yeah, I forgot to mention Sting. Oh my gosh! But it, yeah, it, does, it doesn't sound like a, a typical well, Sting it, it, song. It starts with Sing and ends with Elton John both. Yeah, which um, just made me think. By, that just made uh, me think of Clapton. like Four Weddings and a Funeral or something. What was the <laughs> other film he sang a crap song over the end of? Elton John. It was in one series we did. Oh, um, I can't remember oh, now. Remember. I'm going to look up the series we've done, and it might come back to me. Have you ever did oh, Disney or Rocky, Rocky, Pops Rocky up Five? That? Rocky Five, Measure Rocky. of a Man. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! I totally um, it, it made me think. It just like this is all way too cozy, isn't it? Yeah, but um, I mean, like, yeah. the other ones ended with uh, George Harrison. It was both George Harrison songs. Right. Um, well, I've so, got nothing but, against Elton John, by the way, but there's just something about this era, Elton John, over this film at this point that's just like, no. It's very dad rock, that's the thing. Yeah, it is a bit dad rock style. Go, go back to like his, some of his '70s stuff. There was a period where Elton John was like really interesting, but not not in the '90s. So it's just like you think about like you know the other ones like you know you have like a very sort of cool opening of the first film 
Yeah. And you, and and the second one opens just by dropping you straight into it. So mm. okay, that, that they're all quite effective openings. And this one you just get like this title sequence, and it doesn't feel exciting. It doesn't it build just... to anything. You think it's going to because it's just like flame yeah. moving along a surface, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it just it just goes like to, to a free, you know. Yeah. But it's no like, but even like the music itself, it's meant to be. I think they're going for like kind of yeah, cool. But really, it's just a bit. All right. Trouble is, when you go for cool, it doesn't tend to date particularly well. You need to sort of almost stumble on cool, not consciously go for it. They're trying, they're trying to make the film look hot, but it doesn't. It comes off with neither hot or cool. I kind of thought, my first impression of it, I thought, oh, you know, this is a bit different. But then I kind yeah. of, I mean, I, I, usually I'm a fan of Sting, you know, like his music is all right. My auntie's like the biggest Sting fan going. Um, but I was a little bit like, oh, this is a bit generic, you know. And I, I, I totally get what you, you know, what you say about it kind of going into the field of like generic body cop movie rather than feeling part of the um, lethal weapon like brand, I guess. Um, but yeah, I was a bit like, you know, I felt like they're trying very hard with this with this introduction. So. I mean, I don't know. I was sat on my own, so no one could comment on my reaction. But I, I think like at least figuratively, I rolled my eyes at this a bit. Dave, you should do a reaction video. Watch a film. Watch Octopussy and deal with your reactions. I'll tell you what, there's very few things outside of, like, cancer and stuff that I dislike more than reaction videos. People just <laughs> go in, look at me crying or whooping at watching something. Look at me laughing. It's just like, Unboxing oh. videos. People going, look, I've just bought a PlayStation. It's like, well, I know what one looks like. I don't need to see what it looks like in some plastic. <laughs> I, I do tend to watch a lot of videos. Do really well. They do those really videos. well. That's the thing. They make money out of it. Yeah, they're really popular. They're, I, I do watch a lot of unboxes. It's usually kind of like any sort of DVD or Blu-ray box sets, for example, if they have lots of cool extras and things like that. Yeah. Reaction videos, I'm not too keen on. Um, there's a channel called Board in Japan about this guy, Chris Board, who's in Japan. Um, and he, uh, you, can, you can Google it. I think it's one of his um, really popular videos. He, he did a reaction to a reaction video that somebody made about him. And I think he, perfectly, he nails it on the head. That it is, it is just basically capitalising off somebody else. Um, and it's just really pointless. But yeah, I can definitely recommend that video. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting watch. What did we come out of the this thrilling credit <laughs> sequence into? I've completely forgotten. Oh, we can go straight to like they, they arrive at a building with like, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So they've completely, you know, cleared the area. There's no one in the building. We know that going in. Yeah. Uh, and they say, oh, the bombs, bomb squad's on, on its way. And then Rick's decides. Oh, no, let's go and have a look at it. And, well, Murtart is wisely saying, uh, no, why? We're not Bond Squad. No one in the building. There's literally like, nothing to... Like, what's the point? I don't I, want to risk I, I, my I hate, life. I almost hate to apply logic, because this is a knockabout buddy cop film. And, you know, things like him reversing his retirement on the day of his retirement, mm. well, certainly in this country, by then it would be your pension company have fucking sorted it out three months ago, you are going, right? Things like that you just give a pass yeah. to, because that's just how paperwork works. So what? Then break in a few rules here and there. You go, yeah, okay, it's it's a film for God's sake. I mean, most cops like dress a bit more formally than this for a start, you know, so mm. okay. But two things here. Firstly, we establish very quickly that they don't know how long the bong's got. Although I must, I must admit I've been watching season two of Twenty Four recently, 
and I might be getting confused with the plot <laughs> plot line from that. But I'm sure originally they don't know how long the bong's got, so they could literally walk in there and get blown up. And then in the real world, you're in the realms of their family suing the police for letting them go in there and all the rest of it. And we are in downtown LA, which I imagine is somewhat expensive. And this is a rather sizable building. The cost of this building, in terms of you know having to recompense the owner for what they do here, is just beyond ridiculous. And unfortunately, I can turn a blind eye to these things where I can. But where I'm sat, sat watching it going, this is fucking ridiculous. The film's just taken a little bit of a step too far. Yeah, because he's, he's, Briggs is basically just sort of having a bit of a laugh at the expense of, like, you know... That I wouldn't have minded if he was threatening to go in and at the last minute it's like he's actually just like, you know, shining him on. He doesn't really mean it. And it's I like, mean, uh, you'll believe the, anything, Roger. The, the only the only thing you need to do, which will just make it, which will make it work, would be like, well, bombs are going on way, but they're delayed. Probably not going to make it, but, let, you know, let's just stand We've back. We've got and... no choice. It has to be us. Yeah. If you do yeah. that, it's still unrealistic, but at least you buy into needs must. It's that, like, oh, that well, is well, like yeah. the top. Oh, well, well, so, well, let, well, let, well, let's give it a shot then. Well, yeah, what got these? You think of 24, one of the biggest problems they had morally was they were, that show had our heroes beating confessions out of people. But they always had the, we're on a ticking clock here. We've got no choice. This is our only game. We've got to. And I just think that, that that's the way you play this. Like, it has to be us. Whereas they play it like Riggs pissing about. Yeah. And I think it's meant to be funny, but it just takes me right out of the film. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's even like, when he's there, he's like, he's there dicking about, not taking it seriously. And it's just... I mean, I think right now he's like, this is not Riggs. Really. No, it's parody, Riggs, because at least when he was suicidal, he was aware of what he'd be given up. When he put a gun in his mouth, he couldn't do it because taking his own life is such a huge thing. And he's crying because he doesn't want to be here, but he can't end it. Now, supposedly in a much better place, he's wandering in where a bomb can go off any seconds. It's like, I'll just clip that fucking thing. It's a hunch. It's Mm. like... In every film trope, tells you these things and are often booby trapped. You it, click, you click the wrong button, the speed it goes down like doubles. How often have we seen that as a film trope? And drugs, Mertarin as well. Yeah, he's yeah. what ten he days from retirement. Like, well, yeah, you, you stay here, and that won't be long. Kind of thing. Yeah. So anyway, I think this is just for the funny set piece of them running away and screaming while the building goes up mm. behind them. But just what a waste of a load of pyrotechnics on a badly written scene. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm but sure there are people it's listening. Shot, isn't it? I, I'm quite happy to sort of give my opinion, and, and I'm aware that most listeners are smart enough to understand that, like, if they disagree with us, fine. They just like, you know, we have a different view, and they're interested in what our view is. I am aware that there are people who enjoyed this film who are probably like shaking their head at this. It's like you, you couldn't buy into the fun of the scene. But what I'm saying is the fundamental setup of it was immediately drawing me out of the film. It's like this: this isn't; these are not our characters anymore. And I, I, should... I, yeah, I don't want to like trash all over the film. I'm sure there are some people who, yeah. who think this. Hello, Chris. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. I can't hear Becca. 
Becca, can oh, no, you... Sorry, I've got issues with my mic. Sorry about That's that. That's all right. Just do that again. I know we're not trying to trash on this film, but just start that bit. Yeah, yeah. this is it. Yeah, I just say, um, yeah, I don't want to trash on the film and all the rest of it. Um, I just say that, you know, I didn't have as good a time as I ever had done with the other ones. Um, there, there's still lots that I like about it. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to poop all over it, basically. Or whatever yeah. word. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I didn't like character... I didn't categorically hate this movie. Um, but I perhaps enjoyed the other the other two more. Um, as I say, there's still lots that I did like about this film, like the script and, and the action is, is bigger and, and more explosive. Um, but yeah, there are just there are lots of little things really. Um, well, even, yeah, even that, them throwing in a cat to save, it's like, <laughs> did you focus group whether it's, the audience is cat, like cats dog, or something? You've got everything in this film, so. Yeah, is it like you've done a focus group where like the average lethal weapon fan is a big animal lover or something? Yeah, well, Richard Donner's kind of, um, he's well known as an animal lover and, you know, pro-life and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, he's an animal campaigner, so, you know, he's he's well known in that regard. Yeah, Lawrence Shooter Donner does have a cameo in this. I forget where, though. I've forgot, completely forgotten where it is because I didn't recognise it at the time. I saw her in the credits. So I think yeah. that's all we got to say on this. They go in, they're arguing over which one to clip. It's meant to be funny interplay. Uh, they clip it and then they've got to run. They grab the cat <laughs> and the thing blows up and it's like the next thing we see they're back on sort of patrol. I'm sorry they'd never yeah. fucking work again, but they're back on patrol. They've, they've been demoted. They're like in. Um... And again, yeah. real world intervenes in my mind because again the arrangements of pension and shit are not for worrying about when you watch a film like this. But when Motar's moaning with good fucking reason, Riggs is like, "Oh, you're doing my head in." And it's like, hang on a minute. If that was Britain, at least you've kept your job, but your pension's just been cut dramatically one week <laughs> from the end. You've just been caught, caused hard cash by a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, now his decision to stay on the force makes a lot more sense. It's like, I can't get my fucking pension back. <laughs> yeah. Lethal Weapon 5, he's got, an e- he's got an evening job at a fucking news agent's as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, yeah, they, 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 they're almost getting up to fight, and then we find Riggs is wearing a girdle. That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he's, he's sucking it in. But again, he's getting older, you know, what do you expect? Um, and they, and they harass a jaywalker. Um, again, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll stop doing this in a minute but maybe it's mostly the first act of the film because eventually I start settling into it and just accepting it for what it is. But when they did this, I just thought, what the fuck are they doing? Do you know what I mean? This this yeah. guy is just being harassed by the police. Bear in mind, the police are fucking armed in that country. You know? And it, maybe it plays differently now with like police brutality and stuff like that. But there was just something about it. I was like, this is a pair of fucking idiots, but it's mainly Rick's. <laughs> and I never felt that way about him in the first two films. He, he mm-hmm. was damaged and hurt, but the job was the one thing keeping him going. It wasn't the one thing he went out to just piss about doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they kind of like like frighten him. <laughs> yeah, but Paul are going out in public, and like, you know, no one else bites the eyelid. Um, maybe that's LA. And then, um, although yeah, my schizo- is... my schizophrenic reaction to this film. When he runs off and they start laughing, I laugh along with them. That's the weird thing about this film. This scene just like pisses me off in every single way. 
But the moment he runs off terrified and they start laughing together, I'm like, yeah, that's Riggs and Mercer. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, they're just fucking with him. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but then they stumble on a... Um, like an uh, armed uh, robbery of what? Like a security van? Well, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, so they're like... You know, they're um, pretending to be like the pickup money. That, that, that was the, that was the gig but obviously yeah like when you go to a bank and you've got to pick mm. up a pile of cash to take somewhere safe then you get like people in sort of full body armor putting it into like an armored van it's that sort of arrangement isn't it yeah um and then like yeah so Riggs notices like the guy coming out saying oh hey 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 you didn't um hey you didn't sign for this and then and then like the, the real armed um uh, van come come along yeah. And then, yeah, so there's a bit, she, and it's basically just a big chase scene big involving Murtar um, uh, being driven around by. By a woman um, who wants to, like, wank him off while she's doing it. <laughs> yeah, singing and just. This character, if they made this film this year, she would be played by Leslie Jones. Yes, probably. Something like that. It's that sort of character. Ten years ago, maybe Queen Latifah. It's, and again, again, it's just another unnecessary bit. Like, what? Why? Well, there's nothing about Roger that well, I mean. We know he's not a cheat. There's just no way he's going to. Right? That character's not been set up that way. But nor has he been set up to be that uncomfortable about women that we wouldn't believe he would just go. Excuse me, no, I'm married. Right? And that would be the end of it. And it's played mm. for comedy, and she's really big and broad. And I don't mean physically. I mean, as a character, she's a really broad character. And I just think, like, we've come a long way in five years. Yeah. I mean, like, she's middle of, like... She, bear in mind, she's just like, seen, like, whoever she's working with just got shot. And now she's, like, chasing, like, these people with another car. And she's there, like, sort of singing. She, she's and basically ch- singing, enjoying a car chase, wisecracking, and trying to wank off an aging detective <laughs> moments after she's seen a murder. Yeah, and not even um, <laughs> and he, even when he says no, I'm married. She's still freaking cool. like seriously, like fucking hell. <laughs> now, yeah. if you imagine if you you reverse that, right? If you let's just say that if like that was, top if, of the female what, if, character, if this was a female buddy cop comedy and that's a yeah. man cracking onto her, yeah, yeah, that'll play. Yeah, it's just like it really... would play really super creepy. Whereas yeah. like. It's just a quirk of... Chem- I mean, it's partly its era, but I think it's a quirk of chemistry in that, like, it is creepy in its way that she's being wildly over the top, but we're just not conditioned to find it offensive in the same way. We're just meant to find it a bit over the top. Yeah. I mean, she's only in, like, one more, one se- one more scene later, one where she's, like, constantly like harassing him. Yeah. But it's just the whole thing... I mean, she might, the later stuff. scene, she might as well have turned up fucking fingering herself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that for like any recut of the film, by the way, because like we we don't need to see that. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that the 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 scene where one one of the guys gets away and they catch the other one. Uh, so he's rested in custody. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is sort of met. Well, there's a go- we meet this guy on a building site. Turns about Stuart mm-hmm. Wilson's character, and he's talking to like. Who is this guy? Is he like a, is he a celebrity or something? Is he a black rapper or something? I can't remember. Isn't he? No, I think he's no, he's 
he's I think he's he's obviously like a, a leader of a gang of some sort. Oh, is he? He's after he's he's after like ammunition, isn't he? Because the whole whole thing is that they're selling that right. they're selling building guns, sites. Managed... So they they use building sites as like a front for all this. Mm. And basically, I, the film I thought of when I saw this, but again, it's because it's a film trope. It's it certainly wasn't invented by this film. A because it's later, and B because it's not that fresh. But it made me think of Jack Reacher. When when somebody fails at their mission and then suddenly out of the shadows comes the real villain of the piece who either kills them or makes them do something gruesome mm. to themselves. In Jack Reacher, he asks him to cut his own fingers off or something. He bites uh, his own fingers. Uh, bite his own fingers off, yeah, because he's got a knife. Um, here he just basically drowns the guy in like concrete, cement, concrete, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then skipping forward slightly... It turns out that guy, the big bad of this film, is an ex-policeman. He still has like his credentials, so he can walk into a station and flash a badge. Mm. Uh, I don't know how that works in reality. Um, I mean, if you again, if you think of this country, if I was a policeman and I wanted to see if Chris had a criminal record, I couldn't just go into the police national computer and like call him up. I have to have a reason for looking. And it leaves a record. So I'm not sure if you can just walk into a station and suddenly interview whoever sat there. But for the sake of the film, he has the credentials and people recognise him that he can walk in somewhere, flash the badge. Oh, yeah, you're detective whoever on, on through you go. And so later he will get into a police station to kill the other person who failed mm. and drew the police his way. But, uh, yeah, so it turns out this um, these two kind of gone basically Rogue did an independent, like, heist just to, like, score some extra money between them. Um, and obviously, because they got... They fucked up, he... He wasn't happy about it, so basically he had him killed. Um, because, you know, drowning concrete's pretty brutal, though. Um, and, yeah, so they, they've got the... the suspect. Hmm. Um, and so, we're pr- pretty much within the first day, they're like... Taken off the case, to, uh, they've been put under. Um, well, they're now street the... cops anyway. Even though I'm yeah. still a bit confused because they still walk into the same, you know, sort of captain and report as though they were um, cops. But this case has been taken over by Internal Affairs uh, yeah. by this lady called Lorna, whatever her surname is, and uh, that's Rennie Russo. And it's because they think it's an inside job because of cop access to this, that, and the other, like. Mm. Guns have been taken off the street or confiscated, put in secure places within police stations and so on, mm. and then stolen. But not only stolen, they were boxed up or whatever, and they even knew which boxes to take. Mm. Yeah, so because... Yeah, because at the moment, the, the, these, at this point in time, we don't know this, because we, they, it's... Um, I am moving on just, a bit, yeah, there. Yeah, but it's... Um, they just like, hang on. What, why, why is why is this internal affairs case like we're we, we talking about the you know these yeah these internal affairs stating it's like, the obvious it's like, oh, you know you don't need to know internal affairs are internal affairs they investigate cops um yeah. so it's not immediately clear this just looks like a normal sort of organized crime thing and mm. yeah uh in the interim uh Murtar is sort of selling his house Leo showing people around, complete with his fucking, you know, 1996 Paul Gascoigne mm. hairstyle. Um, <laughs> and Riggs, Riggs being, this being comedic, Riggs is uh, eating dog biscuits to try and stop him smoking. 
yeah, so I think you can sort of tell while it's getting a bit more uh, a bit more family friendly, or, or maybe it's just like cinema in general when they want to cut out smoking. Yeah. So they kind of think, you know, play, oh, you know, Riggs is eating dog biscuits. Well, uh, that, that's the first thing I think of. If I thought, I can't show smoking, what mm. can I do? Well, everyone eats dog biscuits, obviously. Okay, so, uh, yeah, they're, sell- they're selling up, basically. Um, <clears throat> what else? We do get a bit of foreshadowing. We see Murtaugh's son talking to a friend of his. Mm-hmm. That friend turns out later to be sort of in a gang. Uh, and then we go on to the scene we were just talking about where he kills the guy. Yeah, uh, just walks into the, the police station. Um, and, and, the, like... and it's always another thing about films. I mean, this is like, this has always been a movie, but, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just walk in and shoot one. I mean, they always put silencers on. That makes it sound like there's yeah. barely any sound. Silences, so no one silences don't silence in real life, but I'm quite no. happy to accept that as a film trope. Yeah, it's always well, you know, it, it, that, that goes back to even Bond and probably even before then. Um, yeah, I, I've, seen, yeah. I've seen videos. I mean, I'm not remotely into guns, but I am into films and how films are made. And I have seen films of silenced guns, and they're not that much quieter. <laughs> no. I, I think I think they're more for um, your benefit when firing. I think it's to stop the possibility of you damaging your hearing, isn't it? Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Let's put this on a gun so you can kill people without getting caught. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? Um, God, so many tasteless jokes went through my head then, but I won't because gun violence is not particularly funny. Um, what else? He, we see his daughter. There's a scene there. Where she's being yeah. supposedly so held. The only point I wanted to make about Rihanna is I was looking out some of the, some of the cast today, and it's just the funny thing about the ages of the people in this because Rihanna in the first film is still we think a, a minor, and in, or is it, in, it's the second film with the condom advert, isn't it? So she's mm-hmm. clearly just about an adult there. So you would reasonably expect that Rihanna was born in real time, something like 1970, 1971. The actress was born in 1960. So she was 27 in the first film, whereas when her dad was 40, and Mel Gibson was about 31. There's about four years between the two of them. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, with the shorter hair in this, and she's a few pounds heavier, she does look a bit older. But... um, I didn't recognise, to be honest with you. No, she looks very different. She was a lot sort of... um, she did play younger in the first ones, and like I say, she had a longer haircut, and mm. she was very slim. Now, she's not fat here, and if she was, so what? But I'm just saying she's physically a slightly different build here as well. Um, and, it, yeah, they just... Rigs the just, short hair doesn't help. It, just, all, it yeah. does seem like a great idea. It just seems like a way to get Riggs into scrapes, left, right, and centre. Mm. Riggs just goes over and gets into a fight with this guy, because it turns out... He thinks she's being held at gunpoint. Then he's like, why is it a rubber gun? And they're making a film. And you think, is that how film sets work? Is this Bowfinger or something? <laughs> is this Bowfinger? If they just thought, God, let's just quickly do it here. For anyone listening, go and look up the Steve Martin film, Bowfinger. It's really funny. They're making a film with the biggest action star in the world, only he doesn't know he's in it. So they'll just walk up to him and say stuff and they just film whatever his reaction is. Um, You would think these sets would be closed or have security or something, wouldn't you? 
Well, yeah. I mean, or they'll be like announcing, like, right, we're filming everyone, especially when. In the and even where outdoors, you have like lighting around. sheets and stuff. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> he just runs straight in. It reminded me of the was it the Naked Gun, where the police commissioner takes him to task for shooting like a load of guys in the park. Yeah. And it was they were they were doing a play of Julius Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought he was interrupting a crime, so he killed like five people. <laughs> That's what this is. <laughs> yeah. So you know, think about it. We're likening this film to Loaded Weapon, to to like Police Squad. It, it's fallen a bit. It's quite a funny scene. It's just an opportunity for us to see Rianne. Rianne's working as an actress. She's graduated from condoms to feature length. No. Um, <laughs> Um, and then what? Uh, and she initially gets fired from all just for knowing Briggs. Yeah. Um, and then, he and then Briggs basically sort of beats the guy up and he rehires her. And it's like, <laughs> well, what was the fucking point of that? <laughs> and then again, Murtar with his 40 years experience accidentally discharges his firearm. Yeah. And that scene earlier where they were talking to the jaywalker, they got out like the book to like book him or something. And Riggs goes, do you remember how to do these? And I'm thinking, do they do that? Just put cops back on the street with absolutely no idea what they're doing. <laughs> you know, you imagine them getting the handcuffs out going, how, how do these work again? <laughs> oh, well. I know. I know. I mean, I, mean, I must admit, I did kind of like those little things because it kind of make, makes it a bit more humanising. Like, yeah. oh, shit. You know, I, I because he, he can kind of relate, you know, if you get, like, pushed back to, like, a job that you used to do ages ago and you get a bit, it does oh, happen. shit, how, how did this work? It does happen. I, I remember, because I'm a project manager in life, and I'm, I'm pretty au okay with, like, all the software and everything. But I remember a few years ago, I'd been doing something else for a few months. And I remember, this is, like, years and years ago. I was a lot less experienced than now. But I remember opening Microsoft Project ready to write something mm. and I stared at it for about five minutes and I was suddenly like oh yeah <laughs> I couldn't remember how to use it at all uh, and then it all came flooding back so it does happen but um, the whole point of this is they're heading to the uh, shooting range yeah I mean I do like I did like the bit where the gun went off but then it's Riggs to start acting like mental afterwards because as everyone goes rushing in everyone thinks oh it's just Riggs sort of being mental, yeah, to kind of cover for Roger to like sort of, which I thought was kind of like, oh, that's a kind of nice sort of Whatever. thing. Yeah, okay. The whole point is we are about to um, see them uh, firing the bullets they found on the sort of bad mm-hmm. guys, and the whole point yeah. is they 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 go straight through. Now the point is with with like a magnum and all the rest of it, they can be shot not at point blank range, but a few feet away, no problem. Mm-hmm. With this, he, he takes it right the way down to the end of the sort of range, a bit like in the first film, and it goes right through. So, yeah. uh, and they just refer to it as cop killers. So, that's reasonably sensible storytelling just to get through to us what the stakes yeah. are here, but also a clue to find out who did it because they're using custom made bullets. Yeah, so this is like this spot thing that they're, they're selling on the streets, which just kind of makes things a bit odd. Of Roger is is like bit shit <laughs> you know not even a vest can fucking save me ass but you know essentially well you can see it from roger's perspective because as much mm. as it's now been done to the death you know he was three days from retirement that has been done to death but the basic mm. principle of 
that would make you sit up and take notice. An active case which you're involved with, and this is what the stakes are, and you're like a week away from getting away, like safe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it does make some sense that they've done it. Um. So wh- where do, where do we go from there? I think from there um, we from there we do go to Jack Travis killing the um, other thing and Rene Russo being introduced, and again. This is another thing where I'm going to be a little bit unfair. The ice rink, isn't it? We have the ice rink with Pesci because he identifies the. the oh, they virus. go to ice hockey because uh, it turns out Pesci knows him and said he was an ice hockey fan. Mm. And that's reasonably well done in that the, the, the bit with these guys that does work is it doesn't work when you go as far, far as them cutting wires on bombs, but the idea of them going in somewhere and just will figure something out is very them. Certainly yeah. very rigged. So I quite like this scene. And Riggs doesn't quite catch up with him. He eventually just goes on the tannoy and just shouts his name and just see, waits to see who moves, really. Yeah. Um, kind of like Daniel Craig in It reminded Solace. me exactly of that. It's Daniel Craig in Quantum of Solace, really. Um, you know, the scene at the opera where he just basically, yeah. you know, they, they as soon as he speaks to them, people start moving and only Mr. White is smart enough to go, well, don't move. Mm. Because you're just giving yourself away. Um, yeah, from there we go on to um, uh, him being killed, and then they find him dead immediately. Before that, they're talking to the captain, and the captain just basically re-promotes them. And again, this film keeps keeps reminding me of less good films, because the thing of film I thought of when this happened was Star Trek Into Darkness, mm. where they made a massive noise of demoting Kirk. And within about seven or eight minutes of film time, they'd re-promoted him. And it was just like, there was absolutely no point to that. I remember Charlie was on that series when we did it. And mm. one of us, we, we weren't in sync enough to sort of live message it, but we were talking over Messenger. And he said, oh, funnily enough, I started that about only 10 minutes in. So we were like 10 minutes apart. And he got to Kirk getting his rank back before I got to Kirk losing it. That's how short a time it was. And this whole demotion thing, it was just like, it was just undone in a few minutes. I don't see the point. The film is just like yeah. loosely sticking together these weird little sequences and set pieces. Um, yeah. But the point is, they're now on the case with Rene Russo. They know both both of those guys are dead. Mm. Um, uh, then we go to Leo telling Murtar his house has termites. Uh, he's gone in to tell him that, but it's an excuse to get him in the building because that's when they yeah. get the ice hockey. So the ice hockey's after that. And the scene yeah. ends with Leo getting shot. And to be fair, to start with, it looks like a pretty serious wound. Mm. Uh, but it turns out he's been shot in the arm, which, again, in the real world is serious, but in these films it's like a night in hospital, maybe. It's a flash wound. It's just but a scratch. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they use that excuse to get rid of him. Um, yeah. And then what? We must be getting uh, to the uh, Murtar shooting his son's friend now. Yeah, so... Because we've established there's guns being sold illegally so, and they're, they're now, dangerous. Just quickly, right? You know, this whole setup because, you know, Murtar, like, goes to, like, oh, I'm going, I'm going to my favourite burger place. Like, you know, oh, you can still go to the best burgers you've ever had. Like, how long have they been working together? Like, I would have thought... <laughs> like, three or four years now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say at least, right? Yeah. Y- you'd have thought, yeah, Briggs would have like known about this place by now. Oh, you like burgers, do you? 
<laughs> Your first name's Roger. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like this. This is like this. This is where he goes through regularly enough that the owner lets him go and he makes his own burgers. <laughs> Which defeats the fucking object. Oh, it's a brilliant. Like, no, this is this is something you do in the first fucking movie. It's a brilliant. <laughs> it's a brilliant restaurant. I cook great burgers there. It's like <laughs> that's not how this works. I'd just stay at home if it's me cooking. But anyway. Yeah. Um, lots of jokes with Leo in hospital. They put proctology on his treatment options. Um, yeah, because I'm sure that's how it works. That's how it works. It's just something <laughs> handwritten. And when the doctor comes along, you know, and do- to double yeah, check it and sign it's off. Not it. like, it's not like anyone goes, looks at, it, looks at the different handwriting and thinks, did you write this? Yeah. I, mean, I see, I, I see the doctor's that, signature. This guy comes in. His arm's messed up, and they think, yes, we must stick something up his ass. Yeah, because surely they'll be like, you work forever, they're like, why are we... <laughs> I mean, I know this from working in a hospital and things like that. that yeah. There would be, like, a rhyme, or re- you would question, like, the need for it, you know. So, like, some things makes obvious sense, like, X-ray, want to make yeah, sure I mean, everything's intact. if, you, if you went in and there was, like, a 40-year-old man there with, like, COVID, and he was there on... and, and, and he was in hospital because he needed ventilation, mm. if you read on the chart he needed an emergency boob job, you wouldn't just do it without asking, <laughs> would you? <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, well, that, that, that has implication of itself. I mean, like, would you really want to perform seizure on someone who's, like, on air ventilation <laughs> you're jolly? But, yeah, I mean, like, it's like, well, why do we need an invasive procedure <laughs> like that what's that going to tell us and i think i think <laughs> it, you might think from the outside listening to this that we're picking on things just for the logic and stuff like that when these films have always had a bit of a loose relationship i think it's actually more of a meta commentary on the film as a whole that it's not i'm, gra- just, I'm just picking it, on it because i found it amusing it's it, yeah, but it's just not grabbing us to the same degree we're watching things yeah. going yeah that's a bit silly in it whereas in the first one we were kind of with it all Mm. the stakes all just felt higher and I think that's what jars with what's coming Murtar defending himself kills this guy, it turns out to be his son, his teenage son's friend so this friend is what, 15, 16, 17 somewhere in that range probably yeah. might be a bit older, unlikely to be any younger and he goes into this horrible funk, desperately tries to save him, next time we see Murtar he's on his, on his boat, drunk off his face and like really quite violently yeah, pushing he doesn't go home. he like, he can't well, I think it's just at odds with the tone of the film. I'd have bought this in the first film. And, and this other thing, so this is like, again, as I said at the top of the show, this is, this should be like about Murtar. And the film kind of uses like him shooting that kid as an excuse to sort of like get Murtar out, out the way for like 10, 15 minutes while Riggs and... Um, and link it back to Riggs's motivations, i.e. you effectively yeah, so gave Rick, me a family, Rick, yeah, you saved me, it, you should stay around for me. Well, yeah, okay, it's an early retirement, so it's not yeah. quite as bad. But the idea of trying to guilt somebody into staying into an incredibly dangerous job for you doesn't actually play that well to me. No, but it's but it's just an excuse to sideline, um, like get, get Murtagh out of the picture just for a brief amount of time so Riggs and Cole can... Can go and do stuff, and we can see her kicking yeah. ass. Yeah, which she does very well, by the way. I think I, yeah, spot, she... I spotted her spunt, a stunt double once. The rest of the time, it looked pretty convincing. There's one shot where I can see it's not her face, but that's mm. it. but that that's part of the gig, you know. You didn't really have CG to do anything then. Yeah, so they beat up uh, some guys. One of them is. Um... 
Oh, he's, uh, what, what's his name? Um, Philip Glenister. What? The guy who played Gene Hunt in Life on Mars, his really? brother, his brother who it's was not him, is it? his brother who was in New, New Tricks with Dennis Waterman, is one of them. He was also really? in an ep- he was also in an episode of Mother, uh, not Mother. It, the episode was called Mother Nature's Son. He was in an episode of Only Fools and Horses as the guy who ran that health food shop when Dell started bottling his own water. You've got two Glenisters, and I can't remember their first names. One's Philip, and the other one is... Let me have a look. Uh, the one that played... Hang on. Philip Glenister is... I'm going to have a look. Philip Glenister is the one that played Gene Hunt. Why didn't that? So that was, that was him. His brother is Robert Glenister. And Robert Glenister is mm. one of the heavies here. Fun fact. I was actually uh, there was um, Nick Chinland, who is he's been in a few action movies. He's probably better known as uh, one of the ones in Con Air. Uh, uh, the, the you know the one that Nicholas Cage kills with a now put the boner back in the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, that guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, like one of his I, I just, he just stood out of mind because I just thought that's well. the guy from New Tricks, yeah, which I've never actually watched, but I've seen photos. Didn't spot that. Didn't spot that. Um, he sticks out from other things for me, but that's probably the thing he's probably best known for. Um, what else do we want to say? I mean, there's there's a growing something between Lorna and Martin because yeah. they're talking about they're talking. He's talking about you know we're supposed to be on the same side here. You're hiding stuff yeah. from me, etc. Um, and they, they do start talking to the point that, like, they think it's a cop. Right. Why? Okay, so it could be an ex-cop. And it turns out there's been cameras placed by internal affairs in the interview rooms for years, so the bad guy was bad and was smart enough to cover his face when he went through the sort of desk sergeant part of mm. the area, but he, he didn't know that it was in the room, so we got a photo of his face, and we know who he is. Um, yeah. Which is kind of, I think, you know, I think she kind of already knows, but she's just looking for evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, that's, that's the investigation done, then. Oh, we've got, we've got proof of him actually killing Yeah, someone. so we got proof of that. We're straight back to, like, him and her showing each other their scars. Which is, I don't know about bit, you, Chris. A bit jawsy. Um, yeah, I just, that, yeah, but mind you, that I didn't think they were going to make love in Jaws when they did that. Did, <laughs> did you? Did you ever think, you know? We're going to need a bigger boat for all our orgies. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you. That That's how I get women into bed. He means I, his cock. I, I just go, see that on my arm there? I caught that on my dad's, dad's sunglasses when I was seven. Get your knickers off. Uh, it, it's uh, just a free tip for all you lovers out there. <laughs> um, I just kept thinking of the, the, how loaded weapon... <laughs> uh, Takes the mick out of it, because <laughs> at one point um, I think it's uh, Emilio Estevez just sort of like just sort of take opens up his like his whole abdomen, <laughs> just like he's got he's got a hamster wheel, just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you seen that yet, by the way, Dave? No, still not. Mind you, I think we were only talking about it a couple of weeks ago. I haven't yeah. got to it yet, and I won't get to it for a while now because I've got. Um, well, I think I've done if I said it on air or off air, but I, I'm going to hopefully be doing a review of the Zack Snyder Justice League, which. I won't editorialise on because I need to watch it with an open mind. Um, but I've got a few other things to watch and review and so on. So I, I may not get to it for a while, but I will watch Loaded Weapon. 
certainly I'll try to watch it in the next few weeks um, like I say I think I said last week why I ended up not watching it it was at the point when all those parodies started like producing diminishing returns as did National Lampoon when National Lampoon started doing films they were funny and then they started getting really patchy but like a few people have told me late, lately loaded, loaded weapons are quite funny in places um, so what now they know who they've got to go and get haven't they so yeah. this must be the bit with the Rottweiler again they, yes. fo- they, they focus group this they must have done basically you know Riggs you know falls in love with the dog not sexually <laughs> but as far as we know um, so he talks a dog down. Yeah, definitely. but he's, he don't you don't even see his other dog. I mean, what happened to? Perhaps he's a love him and leave him type with dogs. Maybe. Perhaps the other dog had got boring in bed, Chris. Maybe. <laughs> or he likes it a bit dangerous. He thinks next time I'm bedding a Rottweiler. <laughs> Free some. Yeah. Uh... yeah. <laughs> Although, he'd have to have some impressive scars to impress those two. Doggy style, of course. Doggy style, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so Riggs goes back to Murtar to kind of, you know... He's, oh, he's right, the way, do, why, do, why do dogs get all the credit for doggy style? Because isn't that the way most animals do it? I don't know. I mean, aren't, aren't there apes somewhere going like they stole our idea? <laughs> Mind you, I don't know how many books of doggy-style dog porn apes are reading, to be fair. I don't know. I guess it's just like a, it, it's probably just caught on. Well, you just think dogs were so cool everyone else, like, copied them. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean... Must have been one of the coolest. It's dogs. pretty cool. Don't do, do we it. think like, it started with red setters or some elegant dog? I mean, if, if, they, if it started off with basset hounds doing it, I don't think it had taken on. But you got Rottweilers instead, so... Yeah. Well, to be fair, they could do whatever they wanted to be. They're quite scary. Well, exactly. It's like, exactly. oh, go on, just be quick. Let them carry on. <sighs> if you've romanced a Rottweilers, write to us at expectusandtalk.gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to get any emails. So I'm literally struggling with where the film goes now. What happens next? Uh, Hopefully, because yeah. there isn't much to this film, we can try and whip through it quickly. Yeah, no, I hope. not going to be long now. Because it's just okay. action, action, so, action, finished. So you've got Murtar, who's like drinking himself to death. They, you know. Yeah, he really goes downhill, doesn't he? I just feel like, oh. Rick uh, sorts him out of it. So, you know, he, he, he joins Cole. And, but it's uh, dealt with in a scene. It's, it's another thing that adds yeah. to this idea of like, they're chucking everything. Not only does it feel tonally odd with this film, but the film doesn't really commit to it either. Mm. So it's just like, well, you needn't bother with that. Yeah, so you have a, a scene where um, Cole is beating up guys again, while Riggs is just like, oh, look at that. Isn't she great? Um, Why one of them actually looks like John Landis in a leather jacket. Yes, he does. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does a little bit. I thought the same. He does. Fuck you! Great actor. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a slap. Um, so, yeah, they managed to get away, um, They but they take... They, they they grab one of the they grab a truck full, full of weapons, but uh, one of them falls out, um, kind of thing, um, and they get away with the dog, of course. Um, and yes, yeah, so they're I think they're back at the police station, and and obviously uh, the bad guy takes um, 
the captain. Yeah. Uh, so he's got, he needs to retrieve basically like the, the guns back from the evidence. They haven't really done enough with this captain for us to feel anything here. You mm. do forget him between films, but yeah, they take the captain who, who you know, he plays the scenes okay and he, he has the appropriate reactions. I mean, like a, a beat cop gets shot as he's like kidnapped and he really is quite in you know rage with it about it like that that's you to son of a bitch yeah yeah so um yeah and so they 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 figure out like what they might be doing next Riggs mm-hmm. Riggs Cole and that so they they go down to like the whatever the the I want to say it's evidence but it's connected to a track isn't it so you get a whole sequence. You, you, know, you have a, a young rookie cop who's like was in the scene before with the the gun range, yeah. which had like which might as well have dead tattooed on his forehead. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I'm 22. Oh, oh, like, it's my birthday. Good for you. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 22. I'm 22, a virgin, and I'm three days from retirement. That would have just completely. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's on top of several scenes, and, and I run upstairs just after anything happens. Yeah. Oh. I've just proposed to my to, to my girlfriend. I can't wait to go home. I can't home. wait to get home to Doris. Can't wait to get home, exactly. <laughs> Play cricket for Croydon gentlemen. I think I'm just quoting Blackadder then. Yeah. Um, yeah, dead. Dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah, so you have, you have a shootout there. Um, uh, Riggs goes on pursuit. There's a chase out. And then... Um, yeah, you have the bit where they get away, and basically you just get to to the end end film where Leo turns up and, and and tells them like where like what what property he owns. I don't know why I couldn't tell them that before, but um, and, I think it's more the fact gets... they they hardly apart from Riggs sitting with Lorna and her telling her, him the whole story of someone knew exactly what was in stations and could get in and knew what the stock numbers were and got it out. Which is obviously saying it needs to be a cop or an ex-cop, and him going, "Oh, so that is a cop or an ex-cop." Once again, they do literally no detective work. Well, yeah, but you know, what do you expect, Dave? They don't work anything out at all. Uh, I mean, one one of the things is like, right, okay, right. So you got the right at the beginning, you got the guy shooting someone in police custody. You got video evidence. Why is that not like you know? Why why is not a team looking for this guy? Like a warrant? Like, okay, this what, guy. Why don't you murder. ring the fucking pension company? <laughs> Where is it? Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this guy must be like hiding. Like you know, must be like you know. I mean, like his name off like, of all the books of you know, type of thing because. Sure. Like, I, I, but anyway. I mean, I'm joking. I'm sure he's hiding and everything else. But once again. The plot is broken by Joe Pesci walking in and saying, "Go there," and it's like wow, this is quite disjointed, and they've done nothing to prove they're even halfway competent policemen at this stage. What they are mm. is quite good pistol marksmen and pretty good at like fighting. Yeah, so but yeah, basically, sort of like he tells them like, "Well, there's a housing development uh, under construction owned by Travis." Yeah, which think, well, thanks. You could have told us that before. We could have like just you had. Whole pol- whole police escort and, and got him there. Yeah, exactly. Him. Yeah. Put a warrant out, you know, all that. But yeah. so I I think they should make um, 
I think they should make uh, detective films with just me and you doing really routine paperwork and deductive reasoning. <laughs> well, yes, that does sound rather like boring. <laughs> I, I think it would work. Oh, that for a dollar. I think that would work. I'm serious, but you know what I mean. The problem is that problem is I've got no detective skills at all, so... Well, yeah, but... You, you, com- could, you could be like a medical detective. Compa- compared to what? Oh, so basically house. What, so in other words, you walk in and go, yeah, that arm's definitely broken. <laughs> house, he's, he's a lot more, lo- lot more lovely and has a better bedside manner. Let's okay, celebrate yeah, the really beers on our boat. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so basically have a big action scene, which I think actually looks look visually nice with, like, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the wooded... It's nicely shot and designed. I was just um, reading yeah. up on. I've just reading up on Chasey Wolf here. You know the, the one who plays his daughter. It's December twenty seventh, nineteen sixty. She was born, and it says here oh, Wolf, wow. is, Wolf is largely withdrawn into a private life, but is still active as a model. What's she fucking modelling? Spark plugs. <laughs> Spark. what kind of modelling you're into, you know. Yeah. All right. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, let's let's wind it up. <laughs> what else have we got to say about this plot? Um, not much. Uh, Cole, Cole gets shot, but is wearing two vests. Yeah. But still needs medical attention. And, Do you think um, she was just like, it's like a padded bra to her? She was like, my tits are looking unimpressive, I'll wear yeah. two of these. Uh, obviously, the, you know, all the bad guys get shot. Um, and, yeah, so it kind of ends with, you know, Murtar, like, not retiring. Um, Riggs sort of teasing about like you know, you know relationship with with um, with his daughter, but you know, it isn't really. So oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm spoken for now, you know. And um, yeah, and then there's a, an honest, scene. He spots them it's having a... a little kiss outside, and even knowing that they're supposed to play a sexual tension there, and Riggs is meant to be like you know catnip to the ladies. Yeah. I still saw that. It just looks like a kiss between family friends. It's like your uncle giving you a kiss. That's what it looked mm. like. So, okay, fair enough. And then there's an uh, scene where plus he's got Rene Russo. Why would you want anyone else? Yeah, he just sort of, yeah he just sort of spent like the past like days seeing him like ogling her the whole time. Yeah, I've just had sex with the former model for like you know, whatever it was, guest jeans or Tommy Hilfiger or whatever it was she used to model for. Yes, of course, I like your homely daughter, you know, who advertises Johnny's. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's it. And uh, we're not friends, we're family. <sighs> next week. Okay, final thoughts, Chris. It's okay. I mean, it, it's declining quality. It's, it's made by committee, as I said before. Um, I think it's just like an issue of too many cooks with too many different ideas without really real focus and really it's just an excuse to sort of get together and like and, and, and enjoy the process I think for um, for everyone involved uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think that that's that's the real problem it is largely forgettable but it isn't bad you kind of enjoy it while it's on but you, you are reminded like of how how much it has declined since I mean not even from the first one, even from the second film it's you know it's it's gone down. So the bigger it's a bigger drop than last week's drop if you like. Mm. I, I I would hold 
and I respect Becca's difference of opinion on it. I would still hold the first one's better than the second one, but the drop is is hardly anything. Um, I felt a bit more tonal imbalance last week, but you know it was it was still similar sort of quality. This is a drop. This is this is the family friendly, slightly parody version of the same thing. Becca. Yeah. Um, oh no. I don't know. I just. I, that's what you know. I. I, I don't really know where, where to begin. Really. Um, yeah. This this series obviously is, is completely new to me. I'm you know I'm aware of you know the legacy that it leaves on, on action cinema, um, and a lot of the tropes that we're so familiar with today actually kind of began with this series. Um, and you know, love my hate. Shane Black did create some really iconic characters. Um, and whatever you might think of Mel Gibson. Um, you know, he has created an iconic character here, definitely for sure. Um, as I say, I didn't. You know, I'm not saying I, I hated the, the first film. Whatever, I, it is a classic. I just think I kind of maybe enjoyed the second film more, just like just for the action, for example. Um, but you know, I still very much enjoyed the first one, and it's you know one of my favourites. So yeah, don't get me wrong for sure. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you guys on this film. It's just a bit of a step down, really. I mean, it's it's funnier. There's you know more action. They try to cram a lot. Where it kind of falls down for me is where they try to cram a lot in. You know, there is more action, but there's also more action. <laughs> they try to cram in more, you know, more action set pieces than than is necessary, really. Um, don't really need Joe Pesci, although he is funny. Um, but then the the script is kind of a bit zingier, and so he's, he's almost a little bit of an afterthought. Um, the villains aren't really scary. You don't really kind of get to know them really, um, and just because they might look more ordinary in every day, and because they are essentially cops, maybe that kind of makes them more. More scary, I don't know. Um, not that Joss Ackland kind of... doesn't. Joss Ackland is still the fucking unsettling one. Oh, well, he's he's ter- yeah, terrifying, definitely. But he's he's brilliant in whatever he does. You know, whichever role he is, you do feel that you, you kind of you kind of know him, and you just think, oh, you know, oh, it's horrible. Um, but yeah, here don't really get that so much, um, unfortunately. Although you know, Shit Wilson does give a really good performance. Um, it's that the rest of them really kind of let him down, unfortunately. So yeah, this is a bit of a drop off in quality for me. It does kind of feel like, you know, as you said, Dave, um, more sort of generic buddy cop movie rather than like a, a lethal weapon film, for example. Um, but yeah, two out of five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I just have this idea that if I went to the cinema to see this, having never seen it before, I um when a film hasn't settled in your mind, I think by definition, I'd probably end up coming out and giving it a three just because I I wouldn't really have, I won't have settled on anything. Nothing's really offended me about it. Nothing stood out. And I always think conceptually the films sort of start as a three and they either kind of impress you or disappoint you from there. Um, it is a big step down, but um, I think the best way to mark this film would be to give us four fun facts, two of which are ludicrous and don't fit with the rest of the facts and one miserably grim dark fact just to reflect the shifting tone of this film becca oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> well you never know um yeah but it's a random fun facts really um so fun fact number one carrie fisher was apparently an uncredited script doctor on this film which i think is quite interesting um and these other facts are more to do with like the costs and, and things like that, and then a random fun fact at the end. Um, so number two, other actors considered for the role of Jack Travis include Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Imagine how good that would have been. Alec Baldwin, um, Eric Berman, um, Michael Keaton, and John Travolta. Um, other actresses considered for the role of Lorna include Jodie Foster, Michelle Pfeiffer, Linda Hamilton, Laura Dern, Gina Davis, and Kirsty Alley. 
Um, my fun fact about Bram Stoker's Dracula, Renee Noyadu was also the director's first choice um, for the role, but Joel Silver thought she was too young, and plus also she was busy filming Bram Stoker's Dracula at the time. Um, fun fact number four, this is the only Lethal Weapon film where Myrtle's house isn't damaged in any way, and likewise his family emerged from the film rel- relatively unscathed and unthreatened, so it, it, that's just, it was quite funny that it doesn't happen in this film. Um, fun fact number five, Three Stages game that we see um, at Lorna's house is actually a real thing, I didn't realise. It was released in 1987 by Amiga and was ported for all, all, the, all the amazing retro consoles, like Commodore 64, Game Boy Advance, Windows, Mac, all that kind of thing, <laughs> all the retro consoles. Um, and the game actually earned a largely positive reviews. Um, it's favoured for its humour, um, but it obviously had limited replay value. So, yeah, that's my five randomly fun facts. As for social media, you can find me at the past year 1976 on Twitter. You can find me at Cinematronics. You can also find all the old episodes at cinematronics.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at Expectors Talk. You can find us on all the major platforms Spotify, YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts. Um, wherever you'd like to find us, don't forget to rate, review, like, and share. It helps us to kind of rank higher and attract more listeners. Um, so, yeah, wherever you like to find us on your platform, do get in touch. And Chris might put us on Amazon Music if we can get round One to day it. soon, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're on Spotify because oh. that's become. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, Amazon Music no, I did. podcast. Oh. God, how many more podcasts? Are, 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 oh, we um, can't keep asking well, you for got, more. But Amazon, we all go, we all go, we all go. Spotify, Amazon. Stitcher, Podbean, yeah. Podbay. Yeah. Um, maybe Amazon Podcasts. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll find out how to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. we're in, on enough places, though. Yeah. You? No, no, I think after that we will be. So we need to be on Spotify now because people have sort of moved away from Apple quite significantly, but we're on there, so yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, I'll be very interested with next week to find out whether... Because I said it well, at some points this film felt almost like it was made 10 years after the other two. I'll be interested to know what it feels like when we get to a film that is like six years later. And, it is, like, six years later. and it is like a decade after the first one. And because like the mullet's It's almost like distance between new Bond films. Well, now. it's just because, it is, because there's it? distance, like I might be more forgiving of the slightly, the, well, the lighter tone. Because with this one, they're in the sort of all the accoutrements of the first film. But it feels like a reprise, whereas maybe next time I'll accept that. I don't know. But that's for next week, which means Becca. Oh, before yeah. we go, though. Sorry. Uh, I, think, I think we'll have to uh, say an RIP to Yakati. Uh, I can't Yeah. The point about Yafet Koto is I was friends with him on Facebook, but I just assumed it wasn't the real account. Then his wife not only posted the news on, like, his fan page, but she posted it to that page as well. So it turns out I was Facebook friends with Yafet Koto and just assumed it was, like, a parody for fucking years. Yeah, I wondered the same as well. I thought, is that really him? Or no, is it's, it's really him. Could have invited him on the show. His wife posted to that. Uh, claims he died at 81, but Yafet on his Facebook page, his personal one, which it turns out we were friends with without knowing, uh, or we were only sort of 30% sure it was him, if you like. Yeah, I didn't know um, it was him. I thought on balance it might be, but he kept claiming he was younger than 81. He said the press continually get get his age wrong. It's like Timothy Dalton, he's two ages at once. Well, that's the thing that made me think it wasn't accurate, because he said he was still in his early 70s, but when he, if you look at when he was active, that's not actually possible. So no. I wasn't sure it was real, but then his wife posted the news not to his fan page and to there. So she passed it. She posted it to his personal page as well, which we happen to be 
It wasn't us. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. We didn't kill him. We haven't mentioned him for a long time. No. So there you go. Anyway. Oh, no, yeah, very sad news. So on that happy note, Becca. On that happy note, yes, we will return when the expected talk returns with our review of Lethal Weapon 4.